Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Good morning, everyone. Now, I appreciate Lee and Jan's testimony. As you can tell, there are no spring chickens. I mean this in a good way. This is a good way. You'll see Lee and Jan have retired from the world's activity, but they haven't retired from God's activity. And that's what I mean by there are no spring chickens, is that it doesn't matter how old they are, they're not retiring until the Lord calls them home. They're going to be out there witnessing, loving, caring, and bringing people to Christ and making disciples. So you guys are a great example, and I'm glad you could be here and share that with us this morning. So give them a hand again. Okay, imagine we have a visitor. Jesus is coming to our church incognito, okay? We don't know it's Jesus. So he comes in the door, he gets greeted, and then he comes in. You know, Jim shakes his hand. Jim tells him a joke. Jesus laughs. <laughs> and um, anyway, so Jesus is checking out our church. He's here at the worship, worship service, and he's praising God with us. And he goes back and he checks out children's ministry and youth ministry. And, and he starts hanging out with us for a couple of weeks. He goes back in the sound and... Then he comes to our elders' meetings. and uh, Then you guys invite him to lunch and meet up with him. So he kind of gets to know us for a couple months. And then he kind of goes away and he writes a letter and he mails it to the elders of Cornerstone giving us feedback on what he saw. What would he say? Well, I'm going to tell you what he would say today. We're going to look at letters written to a church 2,000 years ago they will give us clues as to what Jesus might say to our church today. So I think I have your attention now. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the letters to the seven churches written in the book of Revelation. Just a brief background on Revelation. Uh, scholars think it was written around the mid-90s. Uh, Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, uh, said that. Um, so that very well could be. Domitian was the emperor during that time. Uh, there was something called the uh, emperor cults or emperor worship. Uh, most of the emperors, Nero before him, and uh, they would all have titles. Like Domitian had people call him uh, the Lord of the Earth, okay, or Invincible, or the Holy One. Okay, so obviously, if you're a Christian in Domitian's time, you're not going to use those titles with him. So you can imagine there may be some persecution, uh, some state-sponsored persecution for the Christians during that time. Uh, Also during that time, the Jews would be persecuting Christians. Ever since Jesus was put to death on the cross, who handed Jesus over to the Romans? The Jews did, right? And then the early church was persecuted by who? The Jews. And 20 years, 30 years later, as Paul's on his missionary journeys, the Jews were still opposing God's movement. Well, in the mid-90s, the Jews were still opposing the church of God. So we're going to see that as we go through these churches. Um, Let's take a look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, and see what's the background and setting here. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow, partaker in the tribulation and kingdom, 
Okay, so John is undergoing some persecution. He calls it tribulation. And perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay, so this island of Patmos is in the Aegean Sea. It's kind of southwest of Ephesus, okay, which is Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So John is exiled off the coast of Ephesus. And Patmos was a Roman penal colony. And it was just a, basically a rock, a small island, like 10 miles long, 6 miles wide. And so John is kind of stuck there. But you know, I, lo- I just love it. You know, you could complain, you could be upset. You know, God, why am I stuck on this rock out in the middle of nowhere? But what am I reading 2,000 years later? John's words that God, Jesus gave him in a vision to write down. Isn't that amazing? So, I, I just love how God works with people. So John is there, uh, obviously having undergone some type of persecution for the Lord, Jesus. And he is told to write to these seven churches. Now, these are seven real churches. If you have a study Bible, you can look in a map on the back. And you'll see in Asia Minor, there's Ephesus is on the coast. Then above it is Sardis. Then you go north to Pergamum. That's kind of at the top. It makes a horseshoe. It goes up. Then it comes back down, Thyatira, um, and the rest of the churches, Sardis, Laodicea. Just make a horseshoe. So whoever, some messenger got these letters and made a circle and delivered them to literally seven churches. And so we're going to read these letters. So I think this is pretty cool. So let's look at the letter to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to be in chapter 2 here in a minute. But before I read this actual letter, when was this letter written? Probably mid-90s, somewhere about that. Okay, I'm going to rewind about 40 years. Okay, we're rewinding 40 years. Paul and Aquila and Priscilla are passing through Ephesus. And Paul says, hey, Aquila and Priscilla, I want you to stay in Ephesus. I'm going on and then I'll be back. So probably the first uh, converts to Ephesus were because of Aquila and Priscilla. we got Lee and Jan, Aquila and Priscilla, right? these husband-wife teams. Isn't that cool? So they were there first. It wasn't Paul. Paul said, hey, you guys do, do the works. You know, evangelize. Let's get the church going. I'll be back shortly. So then Apollos comes up, right? And you guys remember Apollos was the orator and he was preaching the kingdom of God with boldness. Aquila and Priscilla hear him. They come alongside and say, hey, you're doing a great job, but let me just tell you a little bit how Jesus works, okay? He is the Son of God. He died. He rose from the dead. So Apollos is converted. So we got Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla in Ephesus preaching. So that's pretty cool. Paul comes back and stays three years and the church is birthed. The team is there. Paul leaves after three years. He sends Timothy to Ephesus. Timothy pastors there for about a year and a half. Tychicus goes to Ephesus. So God's A team is in Ephesus, right? So in the midst of the darkness, 
God says, I think I'll send my servants. And there you are down in Florida. I think I'll send my servants. I don't know how many of you know, Brandy left or is flying out this morning to go to L.A. Is that right, Minerva? She's leaving today. And uh, as Pastor said last week, she's going to the Dream Center in L.A. And it's a pretty intense ministry to the homeless. They, they serve some 50,000 people. And so Brandy is going into darkness. But the Holy Spirit, the light is with her and with her team. So pray for her this week when you think about it because it's, it's important business what she's doing. Okay, so uh, the church is started in Ephesus. And um, what's interesting is we can read in Acts Paul's final words to the church. So let's take a look in Acts chapter 20, verse 27 here. Okay, Paul's about to leave and continue on his journey. And he says this, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So, Paul's exhorting the elders of the church of Ephesus somewhere around A.D. 50s. Okay? I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. This guy really loves the church. If he's spending every single day for three years in tears, jealous for the church of the living God. I mean, this guy had a heart for, the, for God's church. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So Paul's saying, hey guys, I'm about to leave. You need to be on guard against false teachers, false prophets, false apostles. They're going to come in. They're going to rise up from your own midst. You need to identify them, get with them, and get rid of them if they're going to give you a hard time and not repent. And by the way, I'm commending you all to the grace of God. So Paul leaves. We don't hear about Ephesus. Let's fast forward now 40 years. How did Ephesus do? Did they heed Paul's admonition? Is the church still going? Well, back to Revelation. Let's find out. Revelation chapter 2. Now we're finally going to get into the commentary on the letter to Ephesus. Alright, in my study Bible, it says, to Ephesus, the loveless church. How'd you like this? I go to Cornerstone, the loveless church. <laughs> or... Why don't you come over to dinner? We're the Loveless family. That's terrible, the brand, isn't it? Um, anyway, we'll see why they're called the Loveless Church here in a minute. All right, chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. All right, who is this angel? Well, angel means messenger. So some say, well, it's the leader of the church in Ephesus. Others say, no, it's really an angel. Others say, well, maybe the church of Ephesus has a guardian angel like in Daniel. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the letter is going to the leaders and the people at 
Ephesus. So I like to think they're writing it to a real person. So there's a messenger at the church of Ephesus that's going to receive this letter and read it. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Okay, so Jesus has seven stars in his right hand. If you read in Revelation chapter 1, the seven stars are defined. Um, We're told that they're the seven angels or the seven messengers of the church. Okay, so Jesus is holding the leadership of the churches in his right hand. Now, he's walking among some candlesticks, right? And it tells us also in chapter 1 that the candlesticks are the churches, the seven churches. So, this is an amazing picture. Jesus is holding in his hand and walking among his churches. I mean, what a picture of care and concern, right? I mean, he, he's clearly got, got it in his hand. He's walking in their midst. So that's the picture. If you're the church at Ephesus, and you say, wow, Jesus is, I mean, he's serious about his church, presenting his church as one without spot and without blemish. Okay, verse 2. What does he say? I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who are called themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. Okay, so what did Paul pray 40 years earlier and warn them about? False teachers, false apostles. Now what is Jesus saying 40 years later in the church of Ephesus? You guys did it. You did it. You persevered. You didn't tolerate them. You put them out. They didn't repent. I'm proud of you. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's pretty neat. Tribulations, right? Um, They had deeds. He says, I know your deeds and your toil. So Ephesus had good works. They were probably ministering to the poor, serving people, doing good works, doing the work of the ministry, right? They had good doctrine because it it doesn't say their doctrine was corrupt. Do we do good works? Yeah, we do some good works. He says, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and they are found to be false. The question is, there's always been false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, right? So, Ephesus didn't tolerate them. How about here at Cornerstone? You know, if Jesus were writing to us, if Jesus came here, what would he say? Do we tolerate false teachers, false prophets? Um, do we even have them here in this church? We did. Um, when we were at Park Avenue, this is a while back, Uh, There was a guy that came there and he was teaching. I wasn't an elder back then, um, but my ears perked up and and I know the leadership's ears were perked up. But this guy comes in and he espoused the Jesus-only philosophy. And Jesus only denies the Trinity. Okay, The Trinity is that God is one but manifests in three distinct persons. Jesus only says God is one but he doesn't manifest in three distinct persons. It's kind of like today Jesus is Jesus. Tomorrow Jesus morphs into the Father. 
And then the next day, Jesus is the Spirit. But Jesus, it's not three distinct persons. So when Jesus was being baptized, you remember the voice from heaven, this is my Son, in Him I am well pleased. Well, we see two persons there, don't we? And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. Ah, three persons. They deny that. So this guy shows up at Cornerstone years ago and I don't think he ever got to teach it, but I know he wanted to teach that doctrine there. And he ended up leaving. And I don't remember if the leadership really had to talk with him or not, but we wouldn't have tolerated that kind of thing. Well, to get this, it was, I don't know, a couple years ago, the guy shows up here. I see him walk in. I recognized him immediately. I'm like, what is this guy doing here? Did he repent? <laughs> Did he change? And... Uh, so, you know, I, I just said hi to him, talked to him for a minute, I guess. And I don't, I don't know that he ever came back. He may have come once or twice. And I'm glad he didn't come back. I, uh, I mean, if he had repented, then I would have hoped he would come back. But anyway, there are false teachers that come. And they have some strange theology. So this leadership team wouldn't tolerate that type of doctrine. So anyway... Let's keep reading here in chapter 2, verse 3. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. So this is a laboring church. Over all those years, the emperor cult, uh, persecution from the Gentiles, persecution from the Jews, you know, living amongst this idolatry, they persevered all those years. And Jesus is commending them. The church is still standing. Verse 4, transition, but this I have against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Okay, so, so far, so good. But now Jesus is bringing a word of correction. He starts out commending them. All these letters, Jesus, if He can commend them for something, He does. So you do that first. Then if there needs to be some correction, Jesus is not afraid to say, but you have left your first love. So is it serious? It's, it's actually, do you picture Jesus saying, you know, Pastor Willie, John, Sam, Sorry, guys, you left your first love. If you don't repent, I'm going to shut your church down. That's what, he, that's what he just told Ephesus. I'll shut you down. That's Jesus talking to Christians. Isn't that something? So, obviously, Jesus' death on the cross, his purchase of his bride meant something, right? I mean, he, somebody said he was jealous and he is holy. He is very, very jealous for his bride. So if his bride starts straying away from him, he's going to go get his bride back. He'll get them. So, I mean, how do you turn away from your first love? A uh, couple of illustrations come to mind. Let's just say you're married. I was admiring in Ivy's wedding last night and they're all excited about being newlyweds and, and they're going on their honeymoon soon. But if you could imagine being your new, you know, newlyweds with your husband or your wife and you know how exciting it was during those days. You know, you're at work, you sneak the phone call to your wife and, and then you, you meet her secretly out somewhere. And You know how it was just really cool and you, know, you may even pass notes back then. I don't know what you did. But 
I mean, you just enjoyed your wife so much and you enjoyed your husband so much and you did things and um, there weren't that many cares at that time and you just enjoyed each other. Okay, fast forward 15, 20 years, enter children, right? You're, you're driving them all over the place. Um, husband and wife aren't talking very much. They're just ships passing in the night. It's all you can do to keep your family afloat. And you're still going to church and you still love each other, but it can kind of get mechanical, right? And, and maybe a little cold towards each other. So we as husbands and wives have to guard against that type of thing. Well, I envision that's what it was like with Jesus, Jesus and His bride. Maybe the bride can become a little cold and mechanical over time. So think about when you first got saved, what were you like? I know how I was. I I was crazy. I mean, I was crazy in love with Jesus. And I didn't care who you were and I didn't care where I was. I just told everybody I could open my mouth and wag my tongue at that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. And I remember sitting at Pastor Willie's house. He wasn't living there then, but there was a life group there. And I just remember sitting on the floor and I was singing my heart out to God. And man, I love God and I love singing and praising Him. I was just the happiest person on earth. I really was. And, um, and I used to drive down Ward's Road. I used to cruise Ward's Road. I was single back then. And... Uh, but I was cruising for Jesus. So I was praying, Holy Spirit, I would. I'd pray, Holy Spirit, you show me where to go. I'd take my hands off the steering wheel and say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I did. I really did pray, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. I mean, I was on a mission from God. Friday night, I, I wasn't out partying. I was on a mission from God. And He would lead me. I would witness at McDonald's on Ward's Road. I would go visit people at their houses. I'd show up with ice cream. I would minister to them and we would pray and we would talk about the Lord. I mean, I would do all that kind of stuff. And you guys did stuff like that when you were young in your walk with the Lord. Everything was fresh, new and exciting. You just delighted in Jesus Christ. Well, what's he saying? He says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Okay, that's what I just did. And repent. What's the answer? Repentance. Do the deeds you did at first, or I am coming and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So, realize, as I'm reading this letter, it was written to a church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but realize also the Holy Spirit wants to apply it to us today. So the question for us all is, how are we doing with our first love? Do we still have that freshness that joy, that delight in the Lord. Our service is not burdensome anymore. Um, we're just happy to do the work of the ministry. We have a passion for God. Or have we slipped in some areas? Busyness, cares and concerns of the world, etc. So, you know, ask God to show you where you're at. And the answer is, repent and do what? Do the works you did at first. So to me, I need to sit on the floor and sing my heart out to Jesus. I need to drive down Ward's Road again and say, Holy Spirit, use me. Right? Okay. Yet, this you do have, I'm in verse 6 now, 
that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't really know who the Nicolaitans are. Um, but the name means, Nico means conqueror. Uh, Laetans, that's where we get laity from, conqueror of the people. So the Nicolaitans, whoever they were, they were probably lording it over people, maybe a false teacher, uh, whatever. But Jesus said, hey, I'm glad you guys are really doing this false teacher thing the right way. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does that mean? He who has an ear to hear. I got I got my two ears right here. You guys are listening to me, but I really don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear the Word of God and be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit as you hear it today. That's what that's what it means. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, when I when Pastor Willie stands up here and preaches. I always try to repent before he gives altar calls. Now, we don't give that many altar calls anymore. Uh, we used to give a lot of altar calls. But I would, always want to re- I would always want to repent before the altar call came. I just, As soon as I'm convicted, I just want to say, Lord, please forgive me. Help me to not do this. Okay? That's just me. Alright. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So, we have a spirit of the overcomer, don't we? 1 John 5 says, those that are born of God are the overcomers. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We have the Holy Spirit. We're going to overcome. We're going to make it. Make it to where? The tree of life. So, what do you mean the tree of life? Well, if you read the first book, Genesis, where did it open up? The tree of life, right? They blew it. Read the very end of Revelation. Where do we end up? At the tree of life. So I think that's pretty neat. Jesus is saying, hey, persevere, overcome, and you'll be with me in heaven. Um, So how are we doing with our deeds? Good deeds, right? Are we a church that does good deeds? Do you visit people that are sick? Do you go to the prisons? Or it's... Honestly, it's hard for the average person to get into the prisons here. If you're a minister, you you have a better chance of going into the prison into the prisons. But you can at least there, you can support prison ministries, right? Um, you know, sick people in hospitals. Do you visit people that are sick? Now, here's something we all do. Okay, so I'm including myself in this. But we find out somebody's sick, and we go up to them and say, "Tell so and so that I'm praying for them." We all do that, don't we? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Because you probably will pray for them. But what would be better? Wouldn't it be better to call them yourself and say, wouldn't it be better to go over and visit them? You know, didn't Jesus say something about that? Blessed are they. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was just thinking about that Uh, not too long ago, my wife, Debbie, uh, she was making something. I said, what are you making? She said, uh, chicken noodle soup. I said, what's that for? She said, oh, Kathy is really sick. I said, oh, wow. And she didn't have much time to do that. And she doesn't know Kathy that well. But Kathy, who's really sick, and she's making chicken noodle soup, and she's going to go take it to her. And bless her. And I thought, wow. What if we did that? And we do do that. We do do that. But... We want to keep increasing 
in our good deeds. Right? I'm going to keep persevering. Because the elders are going to persevere by not tolerating any false doctrine. And we all want to persevere with love, don't we? Okay. Alright, next church. Message to Pergamum. I'm sorry, Smyrna. And the caption in the study Bible is the persecuted church. So obviously there's some persecution going on here. Uh, Smyrna had about 150,000 people. It also had the imperial cult, the emperor worship. Um, there was an inscription in one of the temples there it said, concerning the emperor that said, the savior of the whole human race. So again, you see in all these cities we're going to see a repeated pattern. You know, these guys set themselves up as deity. And uh, they worship Dionysus, the goddess of fertility and wine. Again, there was uh, Jewish persecution. There was persecution by the Gentiles. So this city of Smyrna has undergone some persecution. And we're going to find out how that works. So, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. All right, we need to go back. Jesus comes back to church incognito. He comes in. Minerva greets him. He says, Hi, I'm Minerva. What's your name? He says, The first and the last. And she says, Excuse me? And he says, Well, I was dead and now I'm alive. She's like, Okay. <laughs> I mean, what would that do to you if you, if you were introduced and that was somebody's name? Well, I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. So, Whatever message he's about to give to Smyrna, it's kind of important that they know he's the first and the last and that he was dead and now he is alive. Okay, so keep that in mind. I know your tribulation and your poverty. In other words, hey guys, I know you have to run from your houses. I know you lost your place. I know they burned your house down. I know you had to give up everything. But really, you guys are rich. You're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. A synagogue of Satan? What is, I never knew what that was. I'm like, Satan go to synagogue? I mean, you know, well, I, I didn't know what a synagogue of Satan was. For 30 years I've been studying the Bible. I never knew what the synagogue of Satan was. And I think I know. Who meets in a synagogue? The Jews. Right? So, these are people being persecuted by Jews. And these Jews are very hostile to Christians. In Jesus' day, they nailed Him to a cross. They stoned Stephen. They persecuted Paul. Okay, these are Jews that are very anti-Christ. And so much so that Jesus aligns their thinking, their ways, and their practice with Satan, the adversary himself. So the synagogue of Satan... I believe, is, is a, a wave of persecution from the Jews. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. The devil? God lets the devil cast people into prison? Well, God let the devil bring affliction on Job, didn't He? The operative word here is who controls who. God controls the devil, so He'll allow some persecution, so that you will be tested. So that they would fail? No. 
so that they'll prove worthy and faithful. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Okay, so there's going to be some kind of persecution. God's going to allow the devil to, to have the Jews persecute them. They're going to be tested for ten days. Ten days, is it ten literal days? Maybe. Does ten days, that's certainly not a long time, is it? So maybe ten days could signify a short period of time. But whatever it is, they're going to undergo persecution. And, and Jesus said, hey, be faithful even unto death. And I'll, I'll give you the crown of life. So, comforting words. Now, if you're, if you're being persecuted and you're losing your property and you lost a loved one, wouldn't it be nice to know, to hear Jesus say, I'm with you. I'm the first and the last. I was dead. Now I'm alive. And if you're put to death for my name's sake, because I died and rose from the dead, I have the power to raise you up and put you back in heaven and join you with your loved one. That would comfort them, wouldn't it? So that, that's very encouraging. Jesus is, is very much a part of His church. But how about us? I mean, have, are we being persecuted? Are we being thrown in prison? Are we being killed for our faith here at Cornerstone? No, not now. So how might this apply to us? Well, Paul said I died daily, right? And Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So what we're to do on a daily basis is die to ourselves, okay? And live for Christ. So what do I mean by that? So let's say you're in the workplace and someone makes fun of God or puts God down and you really feel like you're supposed to say something uh, and stand up for Christ and you don't do it. Okay, so there would be shame there for the Son of Man, right? So I think even though we're not persecuted outwardly like that, we can at least on a day-to-day basis deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Him. So, in other words, for me to speak up in the workplace, I have to die to my reputation. Because I'm initially afraid of speaking up, right? But I have to overcome that and speak up and not be embarrassed or say, no, I'm a Christian and I don't believe that. I don't think that's right. And you say that to your supervisor. Okay, so that's for us in the schools. You can't be ashamed. Students... And if you go to a Christian college, it's, it's probably not as high a, a pressure against you. But there's still pressure out there. Not all Liberty students are saved. Not all college students are saved. So we have the opportunity now of being witnesses in our neighborhood, neighborhoods, in our businesses, and in our schools. And if God were to allow or grant us, uh, then we would already have this habit and strength of overcoming in those smaller situations. Is that... Does that make sense? Okay. So I think that's how we can prepare for persecution. Okay. And of course, he promises the crown of life. What's the crown of life? Well, it's eternal life. Remember, the tw- 24 elders are bowing down and they lay their crowns before Jesus? Are they literal crowns? I guess. Could they stand for something else? Sure. They could stand for righteousness. But whatever it is, if you have a crown from Jesus Christ, you made it. You persevered. You overcame. You're with Him. Okay, Pergamum. 
Pergamum's called the Compromising Church. Again, not a good label or brand. Pergamum has about 200,000 people. And you know how Lynchburg is a city of churches? You know, church on every street corner. Well, Pergamum was the city of temples. Yeah, they, had, they worshipped Zeus and Athena and Dionysus, and there was emperor worship. Augustus had temples there. There was also, this is kind of interesting, there was this healing cult um, at the temple of Asclepius. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, and they had a snake, so they were worshiping the snake. But on the coins, too, they had on the coins a staff with a snake twirled around it. Now, where have we seen that? The medical community's Hippocratic oath symbol is a staff with a snake wrapped around it. So that's where that comes from, the, uh, this snake worship from <laughs> thousands of years ago. Okay, so this is Pergamum. So let's, uh, let's read here. Chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Isn't it interesting Jesus is introducing Himself each time with a different aspect of who He is? Where do we see the two-edged sword? If you look at the end of Revelation when Jesus gets on the white horse, the armies of heaven are following Him and a two-edged sword comes out of His mouth with which to smite the nations. Okay, so what's the two-edged sword? It's judgment. Wait a minute. Jesus is speaking to the church? Let's see how this is going to work here. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Yeah, I, I just moved to Lynchburg where Satan dwells. Got an apartment where Satan dwells. I mean, how would you like to live in Pergamum where Satan dwells? What does it mean where Satan's throne is? I mean, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Well, it, it wouldn't, it's not surprising if Pergamum is the city of temples. It's not surprising then that certainly Satan has a stronghold there. Um, but I take it to mean that it's his headquarters. Demonic headquarters. Right there in Pergamum. So somebody's got to go where hell is and cast it out and rescue people and bring the light of the Gospel, right? There it is, Pergamum. So whoever these saints are, they were brave saints. Um, and they were faithful. They had one witness. I guess the guy's name was Antipas, uh, even unto death. So he's commending them because he didn't deny Christ. So that's encouraging. Verse 14, though he had something against them. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. Okay, so you guys remember Balaam. Balaam was uh, a false prophet. You can read about him back in Numbers. And Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to hire Balaam to curse Israel. Okay, 
And God said to Balaam, no, you're not going to curse them. You're going to bless them. Balaam's like, okay, okay. I can only do what God tells me to do. So Balaam blesses Israel. He can't curse them because God is in on this. You're not going to curse God's people. So Balak, the king of Moab, was afraid of the children of Israel. And he wanted them cursed. Um, And so Balaam fails him. But you think when you read the account, you, it's almost like Balaam like knows God and Balaam might even be a real prophet. But he's not. Because if you keep reading a few chapters later, Balaam does something really insidious and terrible. This is about the worst thing you could do. He gets the Moabite women and he says, this is like his thought process, if I can get the Moabite women to seduce the children of Israel and commit sexual immorality and idolatry with them, I can get God to judge them and curse them. That's You say, would God judge and curse His people? You better believe it. He told Moses, if you guys don't obey, all these curses are going to come upon you. If you commit adultery and you have sexual immorality, I'm going to bring these armies against you. I'm going to scatter you over the face of the earth and all these curses I'm going to bring upon you. So, you see how... That, I mean, that's... Balaam's in deep trouble. But he was successful. And now we see here there's somebody doing the same thing that Balaam did. Bringing idolatry and immorality to the church of Pergamum. Okay? Let me keep reading. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Okay, the church at Ephesus did not tolerate the works of the Nicolaitans, but the church of Pergamum didn't do so good with the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Make war against them? Jesus making war against His church? Not His church. Them. There's a distinction. Jesus doesn't make war against His saints. That's crazy. He makes war against those who are against His church. Okay? So we don't have anything to fear from Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him will I give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name will be written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. You know, this is kind of an enigma. You know, what's the hidden manna? Well, manna was what the children of Israel ate. Literal food. They scraped it off the ground and ate it. Well, Jesus said, hey, I'm the manna. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. So the hidden manna is Jesus Christ to me. They're partakers of Jesus Christ. And I will give them a stone. Um, There's all these things I read about the stone. But the one I like best is... uh, an account where I read that they would give a white stone to, say, athletes in a competition. And it was kind of a token that would admit them to a celebration, like a winter celebration later on. And so if that were the case, I could picture um, we have an admission pass. And what's the celebration? It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's to be with God in the kingdom, right? You know, last night we we went to uh, the wedding of, of Myron and Ivy and you couldn't come to the wedding unless you got 
an invitation, right? So my invitation got me in to the wedding and the celebration. And I, we had a great time. And so, what is our pass to get into the kingdom of God is by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Okay? So I have a stone that's covered in blood. And when I die, I'm going to give my stone covered with the blood of Christ to the Father and the Father is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, come. Isn't that what our heritage is? It really is. So, here as an ear to hear, I mean, is this the church that's enticing people with idolatry and sexual immorality? No. Or yes. No. But we have to be careful. Why? Okay, remember, Jesus is walking amongst the lampstands, right? Would you agree He's walking through your home? So when you're clicking with your mouse, He sees what websites you're clicking on, right? Yeah. Any sensual websites you click on? He sees it. What kind of movies? I mean, is Jesus with His people when they're in the movie theater? Yeah. What kind of movies are you watching with Jesus? So, my admonition is, no, we're not doing that on this level. But you say, well, I don't commit adultery. Well, pull out your wallet. And pull out the bill. And does this have kind of a secret hold on you? Are you maybe a little too into money and the things that it can buy? We call it materialism, don't we? Materialism, is just, for a Christian, is idolatry. You're worshiping money. You're putting your trust in money. Wait a minute, it says in God we trust. I can do that, can I? <laughs> no, it didn't say in money we trust. So, so we can, we don't have a big temple of Asclepius down the road, but in my back pocket I have some money. I really need to be careful that my nice, brand new, shiny car, that I didn't buy that car because I really want the approval of men. You know, we, we just have to watch that stuff. Watch the sexual immorality. Guys, the sexual immorality, I don't know, um, over the years, it saddens me on WSET when I, I check headline, the weather in the morning. I'll see a youth pastor in the headlines of WSET falling into sexual immorality. I'll see a pastor, WSET, falling into sexual immorality. Another youth pastor, another youth pastor, another youth pastor. And no lie, I mean... You know, over the years, I just keep seeing them show up, show up, show up. So we really need to be praying for each other. But you don't just commit sexual immorality one day. It started with a little click in your mouse in the secret place of your home. It started going to see that movie that was just a little more risque than, than the line you had previously drawn. Am I right? Yeah, I know I'm right. Um, you know. So we don't want to go there. We want to keep real high standards, don't we? We need to be holy people, set apart. I mean, that's what holiness is. We're set apart from that filth. So it's like, oh, there's filth over there. Man, that stuff smells. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not clicking on that. I'm not seeing that movie. Uh-uh, it's, it's got filth in it. Because I can look it up online. And I can see what bad words it has. I can go to imdb.com. And I can check out the profanity. I can check out if it has sensuality. I can check it out. I'm not going to see that one. No. Okay, 
So a letter written to the church of Pergamum. So maybe it has some application for us today, doesn't it? I hope I've given you some feedback as to what Jesus might encourage us with today as well as admonish us to watch out for. Okay? I think this is a very loving church. I mean, I've seen nothing but people rallying around behind people and making meals and uh, comforting and visiting the sick and uh, just a lot of good things. You guys are so generous. Um, so I would say let's, let's keep it up, but let's, let's take heed. The Scripture says take heed lest you fall, right? And that church of Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul. I guarantee when Paul was at Ephesus, do you think there was a problem with love? Do you think they left their first love when the Apostle Paul was pastoring Ephesus? No. But we have to be careful. We have to, we have to keep on guard. Next Sunday, I'm going to finish with four more churches. Okay? And so as you go this week, just think, you know, all right, Jesus is walking in my house. What kind of house? Do we have a house of love? Do we have a house of good deeds? Do we have a house of good works? Do we have a house that's holy and pure before God? Do we have a house that delights in the law of the Lord and His goodness? So may it be so. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.